everybody. Welcome to the MPG Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. This week, I got James Bennett, JB. Um, he owns BNet Management, uh, the Mogul Mentee Program, JNR Enterprises, the TWD Investments, Summer Youth Entrepreneurship Program, so much more. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Yes, I'm happy to be here. A little bit late, but I'm here. <laughs> um, so the first thing I want to talk about a little bit, the drink. Yes. So we're drinking a mogul? Yes, we're drinking a mogul. What's the mogul? The mogul is something I came up with. Um, it's uh, some Bacardi, uh, one shot of Bacardi, half a shot of Parrot Bay or Malibu rum, and a little bit of cranberry. Um, that's the mogul. <laughs> How'd you come up with it? Uh, I'm a workout freak, so I came up with two drinks. Um, every time I went out, I didn't want to drink something that's too sweet. So I had to bring something that, okay, um, the, Malibu, the, the Bacardi is a great rum. And, um, you know, zero effects when it comes on to, you know, how you f- after effects. But then it's so strong. So I want to bring up the, the parrot bay to cut it to make it taste like I'm not really drinking something too strong. And then the cranberry juice is for health reasons. So, <laughs> so that, that's why I came up with that drink. So that, that's the mogul. And then I came up with the, um, the boss, which is the, um, the Patron uh, lemon juice and cranberry juice. It's amazing. Do you own a bar? But all my buddies do home bars. So <laughs> I, I'm actually, uh, all the bartenders are 51 degrees and Elon, all, they all know my drinks. I just tell them one or two and they'll know. The, they, <laughs> yeah. um, so kind of the most common question, the first question I always ask everybody, and I'm really especially interested in your story is, um, where did you, how did you get here? Like 18 to right now, what's been the trajectory? But I actually kind of want to go a little bit farther back with you because right. you actually came from Jamaica originally, correct? Yeah. And so, like, how old were you? And, like, what's the story behind that? And then what's that trajectory from then to, like, right now? Wow. So, Jamaica, um, born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, one of the most dangerous places in the world. Um, survived. It came out. Um, uh, left there in 2000. I was actually here in the States um, when I was, like, 15. But I went back home. Came back, um, like, uh, full fully in, in 2000. And um, decided, that's in April. April. April, uh, April 2000. And decided to join the military after that. Um, that's how I actually ended up here in Savannah, Georgia, uh, to the military. So I spent 24 years of my life in, in Kingston, Jamaica. What? Um, how old were you when? Oh, so you said 25. 24. Oh, 24. Yeah. Okay. So then you moved to uh, moved to America or whatever, and then joined the military. Yes. And so, what was your like career path in the military? Like, what was your reasoning behind joining the military? Like, was it like a lifelong dream or just something you fell into? Oh no, it wasn't a lifelong dream. Um, so I bought. I get to New York. Um, you know, young kid from Jamaica, uh, never even had a jacket. Um, got to New York, it's cold as hell. <laughs> and, um, you know, my dad, um, I haven't seen him for a long time because he, he, he'd been living in the United States for a long time. So I decided to, you know, get, you know, take the opportunity to come and, and see what's up. So um, get here and I'm in the house. I'm off my family members um, or either security guards working at Burger King or working in the healthcare, which is um, um, doing CNA stuff. And, that's, that was my thing. I, I made great money. I was in Jamaica. I had a cab company in Jamaica. I used to work for the ports, um, Kingston um, ports. So I made great money when I was there. So I was already made, making millions in Jamaica. But um, just the, the whole trade-off to come and start over again, um, he definitely decided, so, okay, he dropped me off to the, the, the Army base, and that was it. I just, one day I woke up, he dropped me off. I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up, and that was it. He just sent it. Yep, and then I got in the military. I started crying. <laughs> so I was like, "What did I do?" Because then I got my first um, duty station was um, 
and I do this, but when I got to my first location, um, they basically did a whole thing where they covered your head and you had to literally not know where you're going. So I got to my, my first, um, it was in Fort, uh, uh, I think it's in um, Fort Jackson in South Carolina when I did my, 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 my basic training. And it was easy. Transition, I was still really, really a lot, you know, my accent was strong and it was just meeting a lot of new people for the first time ever. Yeah. Was there... Did you feel like you were treated different because your accent, or like was it pretty? Was it pretty smooth? Like once you went through boot and everything. No, in the military, um, I'll say this: in the military, they have a formula of breaking everybody down. You're all the same. Yeah. So when I got there, it, it wasn't. I wasn't. wasn't treated differently. The only time I got treated differently was because I felt athletic. I was. I was like a super soldier. So <laughs> I broke every record. Um, running, sit-ups, push-ups. I have records to this day that haven't been broken. I did 166 push-ups in two minutes. What? Yeah, I, I, I was beast. And I was like, you know, I got a lot of special privileges because of my athleticism. So basically, it worked out pretty good. So I was kind of like, you know, they put me in leadership positions earlier on when I was in the Army. But it, it wasn't easy because at that point, it was, um, I got here within that six-month period, um, I had a baby on the way. Okay. Yeah, so I was kind of concerned about that at the same time. Like, you know, what am I doing? You know, should I, you know, go back home? Whatever the case may be. So at one point, my son was born. It was a breaking point for me because I wasn't there for him. And it was something that my dad did the same thing with me. I never been around my dad for all my life because he was living here. And um, I, I was vouched that I would never do that with my kids. So it was, it, it was rough initially. Just the, the transition was really difficult. Once... So then, how long did you spend in the military? Then oh, I did four years active, four years reserve. Okay. So, yeah. So when I when I came here, um, did all my AIT, everything, got here, I stationed uh, at um, Fort Stewart on Army Airfield. Um, I was eight in November, which is a uh, transmission um, coordinator. Um, it was amazing. Um, get to fly, go overseas, you know, send soldiers overseas, bring them back. Um, get to you know see the presidents flying. I was at, working at ADAG. Um, get to, got got to see everything. It was you know trains, um, trucks. Anything moving, you name it, we, de- we dealt with it. Do you feel like that played into what the next chapter in your life was at all? Just like seeing all that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing like a lot of powerful people, right? A lot of. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't so that I was born to be who I am. I, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, people always tell me you're gonna be lucky when you make it look like my mom. You put you put a wig on me right now. You're looking dead at my mom. She looks just like me, like <laughs> twins. And um, so you're gonna be lucky, but. You know, I've always knew what, what I wanted to do. Like, when I was 15, I decided um, I wanted to... Um, I graduated high school pretty early. I graduated at 15 years old. So I had to literally wait around for two years before I could actually get a job. But um, I wanted to be in computers. So that was my first thing ever. So I got into computers, went to college here. I was in the military and did um, a, a computer infanticism degree, which I graduated summa cum laude. And, um, you know, great, great, um, great point average. And then I started my first business on the Internet. When I got out of the military, so um, it was—I was always destined to do something, you know, for me. Not really say so you go work or whatever the case may be. Did you know that it was going to be business though, or was it just like I just yeah. know I'm going to be great? I was on the business. Reason being, my mom, my mom, um, strong um, um, Jamaican woman. She's always been in her own business. She um, does a lot of she 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 uh, makes clothes for the tourism sector. So she'll make all these beautiful clothes. You see, when you go on the islands and you go on vacation, people buying all these dresses and shirts, and they printed the Bob Marley, the, the, the tie and dye. She does all that stuff. Oh, she was just leveraging tourism to the max. Yeah. So, so I used, <laughs> so I used to always be, you know, you know, disgruntled. You know, she she wants me to stay up in, until two o'clock in the morning helping her take out the 
the the um the excess um um tra- trading out the um out the clothes, help her move the bag, and I literally had to walk maybe like three four miles with this big bag to the bus bus stop to get her you know go to wherever she's going the destination, which is like three hours away. So it was it was, it was so that kind of built me. Then my stepdad that that I, that we all lived in the same house. He, we we had a pub. So we had a, a little bar that was built to, to attach to the house, and we did pretty good. We were like in the neighborhood, and um, so he was always doing his own business. So those two things kind of, you know, you know, w- it was ingrained in me to kind of see these two people doing business every single day, not knowing that it would have actually made me where I am today. Like I really want my own, you know what I'm saying? I want my own. I want to do this, you know. So that's the main thing. Did you ever like when you were growing up? Did you have dreams of doing it here though, or was your plan like in Jamaica? It, uh, in Jamaica, um, I was. Always, my dad has been here for years. He has asked me before to come here to live permanently, and I told him no. Um, so not until my, my siblings, which is my sister and my brother, got the opportunity. So they left pretty early, and I waited. So they, they got they, had, they got the opportunity to go through high school, you know, college, stuff like that. I, I came here afterwards when they were good, and that was my main thing. So, um, but yeah, but uh, that, that's definitely, it, was, it wasn't easy. And then kind of like a, um, I, kind of going back, it's kind of off topic, but you said you were real athletic in the Army. Yeah. So what did that come from? Were you working out like your whole life or was it just like I was, just those three-mile rucksack mm-mm. walks for no, your free mile? Um, um, I played soccer in, um, okay. in, in Jamaica. In high school, I played for one of the most um, um, prominent um, 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 high schools in Jamaica, Kingston College, and I played soccer there. And I started out late um, playing um but I made a squad, you know, beating a lot of people because I was pretty fast. So um, speed was a big thing. We have athletics in Jamaica. You know about Usain Bolt. We, we're really big on running. Yeah. So I, I literally trained a lot when it comes to come on running. So I ran a lot. So I was pretty fast. Um, so I made a squad, and then I started playing semi-pro in Jamaica, and I was pretty good. So that kind of – I was always running. I was always working out. So that kind of propelled me from, from that to when I got in the, the, the Army now. I was already – you know, fit. So basically, I was kind of step ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Is that so? That's pretty invic- indicative of the culture there. Yeah. Um. It's kind of like Jamaica. You you walk everywhere. You run everywhere. Um. Is either soccer, track and field, cricket. Um. That's b- the main sports. That's it. There's nothing else. <laughs> All there is is to play sports. Yes. Yeah, play sports or be a bad guy or do drugs or something like that. That's, that's it. Um, okay, so you get done with the Army. Yes. And you're living here in Savannah. And you have a decision to make. You decide to start a business. It's an online business. What's the online business? Oh, so um, the Army, I tell a lot of people, been, been, I love the military. Love the Army. I wouldn't have gotten out of the military if it wasn't for my wife. Um, not being able to you know, deal with me con- constantly being transitioned overseas, yeah. not knowing that I have friends that have died, um, that I've spoken to like days before and a couple months later they're gone. So they, they weren't able to, see, to realize their dreams. So I really wanted to you know, be there for my kid, my son at the time. So I said, you know what, I'm going to get out. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go back in. <laughs> so that was the goal. So I spoke to a buddy of mine. He said, you just try it. You know, just get out. And if it doesn't work, go back in. You know, you're good. Because I got out actually ready to go to OCS. So I got out to go to OCS because uh, my degree, and I was doing pretty good. So I was going to re-enlist as a, an officer And um, after I got out as a sergeant. And um, when, when, when I was actually on, on that path, um, you know, the, the, the military helped me in terms of me going overseas. So one of my due locations was South Korea. 
Um, went to South Korea, didn't want to go. I got supposed to go to Germany, ended up going to South Korea. And um, I learned to speak um, Hangul, which is the, the Korean um, language, pretty good. Learn how to speak it, learn how to read it. So I started sending stuff back to my wife. You know, I, I saw a nice quilt, I sent it back to her. Saw some nice shoes, I sent it back to her. Some, you know, nice, um, you know, pillow tops, sent it back to her. So I kept sending stuff back. You know, it's kind of like it was it was good for me to kind of you know be with them at the same time because I'm sending stuff back home. And unbeknownst to me, she was going to the flea market and start selling the stuff. The flea market. <laughs> so I'm like, so so that's basically how it started. We um so when I got back, I you know on my R um R and R, I was like um what are you what's going on? She's like, well, I've been selling the stuff. I'm like, okay. So I went to the flea market with her a couple of times on um on my, my vacation, and um saw what she was doing. So I said, okay, I'm gonna send you more stuff. So now I decided to start sending stuff just for sale. Um, besides just for the ho- for the house and she was doing it good and then we we came to the point where people were starting hitting her up for wholesale prices and i'm like okay um so i gotta send some more so now every weekend i'm literally calling calling ahead on a friday because on the weekends i get to you know drive and go pick stuff up and shop so on the weekends i'd leave and go shop and bring bags of stuff back and ship stuff off and that's how it actually started with my online business when i got back to the, to the states and decided to get out i started you know all my eBay accounts, I started websites, Amazon, all that stuff. So I was literally multiple, multiple different, different businesses online selling similar stuff, but to different people. Were you able to continue like sending that stuff back after you got back? Because I mean, like, did you have like contacts there? Where you could yes, be like, hey, I need yes, this and I need yes, that. Yes, definitely. Learn to speak a language is an amazing thing. So that, that, that was one of the biggest reasons why they liked me. So I, I got their phone number or call them. And they, I would literally have direct access to to, to the to the, um, the warehouses, shops, and whatever I needed, they would they got it, and I they would ship it off. I got it, and I would literally supply like a lot of um, clothing items all through the United States for for like by two and a half years. That kind of goes into like the your network becomes your. I mean, like if you didn't have that network there, no, like could, you wouldn't be able to sustain that when you got back. It's all about taking. I tell a lot of people is um, taking advantage of the opportunities around you. So for me, I kind of, I played soccer in South Korea with the, with the South Koreans. I went to eat with them. Um, they never, they, they, there's not a lot of black people. For the first time, like when I got there, some were seeing a black person for the first time in their entire lives. And <laughs> then seeing a black guy using chopsticks to eat, they were like, <laughs> and then seeing a black guy order food in, in, in Hangul, they were like. They were shocked? It was shocked, yeah. So they took a liking to me. So, you know, once I did that, then basically, you know, we kind of formed a bond uh, in terms of um, friendship where they know I'm serious about what I'm doing. So once you got back, then you're, you're doing that business. How long did that business play out, kind of? Oh, so that's how we started being at management. Um, started um, making 1000 5000 10000 20000 a month, 50000 a month. And then went to my goal. One, 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 one. A couple of months, I was like hitting on 89, 90 something thousand. I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, I need to, I want to try to see if I can make a hundred thousand dollars. Let's try it. And it's like, it sounds crazy, but I'm gonna try. So we hit a hundred thousand dollar mark in September 2007, and we made a hundred, I think, four thousand dollars that that month. And I was ecstatic. I'm like, this is crazy. So after looking back at everything, I looked at um, this is 2007 going on. So in two and a half years. We made about 2.2 or 2.3 million dollars in revenue from just selling stuff online. Um, it started to to to, to get um, back on a lower spectrum because when other people start catching on, how how the internet works is if somebody see you doing something, they want to do it too. Right. So after a while, you know, people start finding you know 
suppliers from different places to buy so maybe it'd be the same quality but so i decided you know what um after all that it was time for me to transition to something else which was real estate so and you're making the most money right as the market started going down which yes is perfect yes Okay, so you're one of the you're like the living embodiment of millionaires are made in recessions more so than in Yeah, because every single thing that I own, most of the properties I own, I bought during the recession. Like literally. Like I bought property right now, um, several apartment buildings that I paid only fifty thousand dollars for and they're now worth three hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. The returns especially in Savannah and, are Yeah, nuts. and now but nobody want nobody wanted what I was buying, nobody wanted. Which was crazy. It was a part that it was in the areas that were to them was bad. Um, nobody, all the people that I know, the investors that invest with me, didn't want to do it. They only did it because of me. I'm a real strong person, so and, and with conviction. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm do it, and I won't fall back. And that was the thing that kept them investing in with me. Because I'm talking, I'm dealing with Jewish um, um, people, and they were literally the, the big thing in savannah about lending funds and stuff so i, I had to get, get in where i fit in and we we're buying property and, and getting them ready i think that and honestly a lot of people invested in me thinking that they would actually own the properties afterwards but it didn't work out <laughs> <laughs> so what's the story then behind like the first property you bought so like 2007 oh. you have all this cash well um 2007 um one of my biggest things the first house i bought was, was all through um Going through something with the, the the apartment complex. I was living in Spanish Villa, and um, this is 2004-2005. And um, you know we were kind of living at the end of the, the the long stretch of apartments. And one I think one Friday after everything locked up, um, we had like an overflow of um, the toilet and everything backed up inside our apartment, um, and it's flooded the entire apartment downstairs. Feces tampons toiletries everything you could think about feasts everything so i called the management office on for them to come take care of it they actually took a while to come out by the time they came out they sent somebody just to vacuum the carpet and that was it so i went the monday i was like you know are you guys going to replace the carpet or whatever because i got a, 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 a four-year-old a little, little baby boy and he's, he has to walk on the carpet and stuff and um they're just like no they're not going to do it and at that point they kind of got on me didn't need to speak to my sergeant and all this stuff and i'm like for me to do this stuff, like, so I told myself, like, I have maybe a couple more months left in my lease. So that day I vowed, I vowed to myself, I'm not renting another apartment and buying my first house. And I knew nothing about buying a house. Absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> I just always, I'm the guy that literally throws myself in the water and teaches myself how to swim. Right. So I said, I'm buying my first house. And at that point, the market was good for buying houses. This 2005, 2000, yeah, it was great, 2006. Absolutely, you know, they, they would give you, if you had one leg and one arm, they would give you a house. Once you show some kind of income. So I was in the military, I, at times still getting a, a, a money, plus I had my other income. So that's how I ended up having to file a LLC, I mean a, a S-Corp, to, to show my income and everything. And then, you know, because of my VA stuff, um, my, my veteran status, I actually been able to buy my first house. And that, that was the first house I ever bought. And I lived in that house, and I continued doing my business out of that house like a warehouse. For the first, for the for, for those years when I lived in it, when you guys were at your height, so living out of that first house, were you you guys were doing everything yourselves, like, did, or did you hire anybody during that no, time? No, it was just me, it was just me, uh, my wife, and from time to time, my brother would fly out of um, Ohio and come down and help out because I actually branched out from just getting stuff from overseas to also buying liquidated items here in the United States. So I'd buy pallets of stuff and break them down and 
sell it, sell whatever I could fix, sell it, whatever was broke, I still sell it. So basically, I would still, I even resell the stuff that was broke back to <laughs> So I was literally, yeah, I was doing it. I was doing it. I didn't mean to get too far off topic, but I was just curious. I was like, that's pretty crazy. I'm still caught up on that $100,000 a month by yourself. Oh but anyway, um, so you buy that first property. Yes. And then, so did you just fall in love with real estate right after that? Or was it like, I know you said there was a little bit of a time there where it's like, I got this cash. Now what do I do? No, what, what, what happened with real estate is this. Um, I was making great money with the um, um, selling stuff online. But then we have, had a lot of complications when it came on to people with trademarks and copyrights and stuff. So after a while, it started affecting us because it wasn't like that before. So people just file claims for no for, for frivolous reasons. So I'd go in my account sometimes and have $20,000 to be deposited the next day. And by the time I got there, zero. Because, you know, all my, my items were canceled on different platforms. I had to redo it again and reinvent myself. So after a while, I took a toll on me. I'm like, I'm not doing this no more. I'm tired. You know, I can't keep on doing this. And um, so I said to myself, there has to be something that I can do. So one of the things I did was I took 12. I, um, there was, I went on, um, I was just watching TV. And at that point, th this new machine came out. Um, um, some of the stories I'm telling you, nobody ever heard about this before. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. You, you, this is the first time I've ever told anybody. So I had a machine. Um, this one, internet just came out. So wireless internet just came out. And nobody had Wi-Fi on their phones, no, nothing at all. So they were putting machines in the hotels and different locations. So people would use their credit cards and cash to buy Wi-Fi time. So you buy it and you get close to the machines. You put the code inside your, 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 your phone or your laptop, whatever you would work. So I was like, I thought it was a pretty cool idea. But then, you know, I took a while to do my own research and everything and contact some of the people that they had references for and um, they, you know, I bought the machine for twelve thousand. This is will be generating about say two thousand something dollars a month. I said, okay, no problem. Or five thousand. Okay, no problem. So I got it up, putting it, putting um in a, a hotel location in um, Jekyll Island. I wasn't making the kind of money they were talking about at all, <laughs> at all. And I'm like, where's the money? I'm like, I'm making two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. I'm like, I'm not making any money. Then the hotel decided to do Wi-Fi itself. So that killed my entire business right there with that. So I told myself, so that I really looked at myself. Like, you know what? It's not working out. Yeah. I got to literally find something that I can duplicate what I've done because I'm so used to making this money. I can't go back to being making no money and be regular. Right. I'm not going to get a job. So I just decided, I, okay, after the first house, I um, decided I'm going to buy another one. So I decided I contacted an agent and then I bought another house. And that's how I started in real estate. Then I bought another one. And then took my time, bought another one. At, at that point, I was buying properties based on the old, the old scale, which a lot of people today still use. Which why a lot of people still fail in real estate. Which is, you buy a property which is twenty five percent market value, that below market value, and then you fix it up and you rent it out, and you wait thirty years to see your returns. That is ludicrous. So you're like investing on cash flow, is what you mean. I'm, I'm to, I, I teach my real estate seminars based on ca cash flow now, um, um, increasing equity, and saving for later on, 30 years afterwards, and also using your, your real estate as a piggy bank. Okay. Yeah. So were you do so like in the beginning? Then were you burring or like using a VA or like how no, were you no, purchasing? No, no, I've never used my VA before. Never. Oh, you never used it never again. Never used my. No, I never used it before. Oh, at all. At all. What? Never. Now, what? To this day, I've never used my VA, never. So I still, I still haven't touched that VA at all. 
to this day. <laughs> and it's been what sixteen years. You should. The rates are so good and there's no money down. Yeah, but I need to I need to do it to buy my um my own like where I live, I'm still living in a modest property. Yeah. Fifteen hundred square foot. Um my mansion in Tybee is almost five thousand square foot. I own it for over a year and I haven't lived in it. But I'm living. She's the, beauty. She's huge. Oh my god! Absolutely amazing. Every time I see that house, I can't believe I own the house. <laughs> it's, so there's a lot of things I do. Like for me, a lot of people see me and think that um I'm just you know super rich or 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 um I'm used to what I'm doing. I'm not. I'm a humble guy. Like I walk into my restaurant and I sit down and I take it in because I'm like this is amazing. Like I can't believe this has really actually happened. So I, I really don't take it in for granted. So, but yes, I live in a regular house uh, and, um, and, um, you know, I just tried to, I started that process where we became, you know, our own landlords. At that point, I was still doing repairs. So my brother came down and, and jumped in and started helping us out. So it was just me, him, my wife. So we would buy them, rent them out. And, um, you know, but then at that particular point, I kept doing that, kept doing that. Um, we need to duplicate our income. See, that's the whole thing about when you transition from one, if even your job to, a business, you have to duplicate your income from your job to be able to leave your job to be better. Right. So it was difficult to, you know, at the way it was, we were doing it because basically you were paying the mortgages, but then you still had to live. So if you're only making $200, you know, after paying the mortgage, you know, after for like five, 10 houses, you weren't, weren't making much. So I had to literally sit down and, and study real estate on a different level. So I studied it to the point where I found a formula that worked for me, which is what I'm doing today. You know, I don't, I, I buy real estate. I make money from, from the jump, from, from my, from my buy the property. I do what is called now a free house flip. You know, I buy the property. By the time I get done renovating everything, I get all my money back and some. And this is within a month, two, three months. So that's the goal. So I still get the passive income. Plus I get money on top of that. And you keep moving and keep du duplicating that process. And that's what I've been doing. So in the beginning though, like, did you pay cash for the first one or was no, it? No, we bought, um, I took a loan. That, that, that point they were doing the proverbial 80-20s. So they're doing 80% on the big loan and then the same bank would give you a 20% um, a line of credit um, for the second half of it. Um, that's how they did it. And then you basically walk in and do it for 100%. Only thing you had to bring to, to the table is closing costs. Okay, and so how many houses were you able to do that on? Uh, I think I did. Initially, you could only do so many houses on your personal credit. So I did seven on mine and seven on my wife. Which was very difficult because we're married and people are like, well, you got to buy the house together. I said, nope. I say, I, I say this, we're separate people. Two different um, social securities. She's she's claiming that income on on the taxes. I'm claiming this income, and make it work. <laughs> so I, for, I forced them to give each each of us. So we never bought property together. To this day, we never bought property together at all. Always did individually. So that's what got us f f further along than most people had. So then, once you so you said you got to fourteen houses, and yeah. what so what year was that when you got when you hit fourteen? I think it was in two thousand. Recession was two thousand two thousand eight. Two thousand eight two thousand nine. So yeah. so we had about maybe fifteen twenty houses around that time. Okay, so that's quick then. If you didn't, you know, I mean, if you're just starting buying in what two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven, that's fast. Yeah, I was, I, I was getting one done, rented out, moving to the next one. I was doing one at a time. As soon as I get done, did the same thing all over again. And then once you trans, so then what was the transition then to multifamily? It's like, what's the story behind like Ocho Rios? How long have you owned those? Oh, uh, going on nine, 10 years now, which is crazy. I can't believe it's that long. Um, first multifamily property. So when we, 
the, the issue was you weren't making enough money off single family homes. People are moving out, tearing the place up, costing out three thousand dollars to get it back together. The things they don't tell you in real estate. Yeah. Right. So don't they, see. That's why I try to teach it the right way. They don't tell you a lot of things about it. Right. They t- tell you the proverbial duh, 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 whatever, and then this is how you make your money, and life is good. It's not. So, I got my first opportunity to buy a duplex for like sixty thousand dollars off of Gucci, and I told myself, look at the numbers. Okay, sixty thousand dollars. My mortgage is gonna be about what four hundred dollars a month, and I'm gonna be making. I can rent out for. You know, six fifty each at the start. So now I'm looking at a larger cash cash flow. Right. Yeah. I said now I can put some dent into what I'm doing and grow more. So that's what started me with a single family, uh, with the, the duplexes. So I got my duplex. Then I actually went from there to bought. Then I found a um a, a fourplex, fifty thousand dollars on on the west side. Nobody wanted it at all. Went inside a property. The agent didn't want to walk in. The, the vagrants were using the property as a, a, a Basically a toilet. <laughs> she just like showed up. Was like, "Hey, go inside." Yep. So I walked in. It smelled so bad. It was bad. It was horrible. So I got it, and um, me and my brother um, worked in the house. And that was the first time it snowed in Savannah for for a long time. It was I remember that, that February, I was there, and um, you know, I was you know painting, doing floors. I was doing everything, changing locks, the whole nine yards. And um, you know, we we got our first tenant, then we got a second, and then we we had four people. So that. Four unit property, you know, brought us a lot of for fifty thousand dollars with about a third thousand dollar investment. The, the mortgage was pretty low, and we were making um, four times seven dollars a month. So that's the kind of stuff. So when I looked at that, I'm like, okay, now I can start seeing how to duplicate, right? What I'm doing. So the single family homes really are, are, are more stable. Um, the, the 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 multifamily are more kind of more erratic, but it's more cash, so more risk, more reward. So and then after that, I decided to buy. Um, uh, I bought like a six-unit apartment complex, and then I started seeing stuff pop up for Ultra Risk Villa. So it was like one property that I bought one, they bought another one, and somebody beat me to one. Beat me to one, bought it. And Which one, can you say? Six, yeah. It was six Greengate Court. Okay. Yeah, I bought, I bought five, then I bought uh, three, and somebody beat me to six, and I felt so bad. When I say I felt bad, I got, when, I, when I saw the opportunity, I said to myself, nobody really saw it. Until I saw it. And I told myself, like, nobody's going to ever buy anything over here ever again. So I got I get, I got my homework. I went in and started buying up every single thing. And then when I bought it, all the ones at Greengate, I went to both the owners of the Peachtree, Westlake, and Rainbow. Got them to agree to a contract and bought them out. And at this point, then, how are you... So what? you're just still living off the cash that you had built from the internet business or at this point you're just using the cash yes. flow to at this point i'm using cash flow because during the recession i almost went bankrupt during the recession um i'm mean, a lot of people which i always try to tell people like i'd be i'm real honest right straightforward <laughs> um everybody during the recession people are going through struggles too right yeah. can't pay the rents whatever so every single month we've been able to pay you know pay the rents pay the mortgage whatever the case may be and um, we had all these taxes to pay, all this good stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I used some of that money to help, but then that money was drying up, right? Because you got to use money to build something before you actually start seeing the money come back, the way I was doing real estate then. So I wasn't getting money, like, up front then. I was actually paying into a system, expecting money back. Like, so that was, so we did that. and um, The classic struggle for real estate investors. Yes. Yeah. So I did that, but then um, when, when the recession hit, I had about, I just went to flipping houses. That's before, okay. yes. 
So I had a house that I bought for thirty six thousand, and this is my first house I'm gonna flip on of Liberty Parkway, and um, I bought it with thirty thousand dollars, and I got thirty thousand dollars on my credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally leveraged that property off credit cards. The entire time. So you're just pushing yourself to the max at yes. this point. Like, so so now I realize that the only way I'm going to be able to make the money I need to make is start selling houses too. So I'm going to buy single family homes. I'm going to do some duplex. So this is my. So okay, I looked at the numbers. Okay, I flip it. I'm gonna, I can make a good sixty thousand dollars. I'm like that's it. That's where you make the money. So it took me about three three and a half months um, to get the house done, but it was a struggle. When I say I've never done that before. So I never like, did a full, I literally tore down part of the house and rebuilt it. I never done it before. Just so, by yourself? Well, me, you and your me, brother? Me brother and this other guy, yeah. Um, from Some guy from uh, we met from Barbuda. Um, <laughs> just some random. Yeah, and we just, you know, he knew what he was doing. So yeah. we all learned from each other and we were doing whatever. So we got it done. Um, got inspected. Everything was good to go. And I sold it for $115,000. So I made good money. I paid all the credit cards. And then I started two more. So I bought two more properties, started doing the same thing again. Then the recession hit. Can't pay the bills. And that was the first time I got a point where I almost went bankrupt because of one house. See, at that point, if you didn't pay all your mortgages, then basically missing one mortgage payment can ruin your credit. And once your credit is ruined, then basically it is a tripling, you know, a rippling effect all the way down. Right. So I had to pawn my, my, my truck title. Never did it before. So... And I pawned my title for my truck, got a thousand dollars, paid the mortgage. And I told myself, this ain't never happened again. It's one of one of my lowest points in my life. Never had to do something like this before in my entire life. But then that taught me a lot. So what I did was after that, I had to sit down again. And I'm very I'm a God fearing guy, so I you know I prayed about it, dreamt. So I had about three four houses that weren't rented out. So I sat there and I thought and I thought of what I'm gonna do. So an idea came to my head: Why not just rent out the rooms? each house so I started doing that and I rented out rooms to about five of my places I was making buku money then <laughs> like the money was just flowing in and that helped me propel me from being bankrupt to where being smart to utilize what you have and then got me to the point where I don't even you know I'm doing better what do you think kept you from giving up then right because I feel like a lot of people get to that point that's what makes or breaks people right that's where the people that you forget about and the people that are on podcasts and you hear about in the future, right? What is it that got you through then? What set you apart from all them guys that just were like, I'm done? Well, let me say this. Um, I have never actually failed at anything that I put my mind to. So if I'm doing it, I'm involved, I've never failed at it. So I never knew what failure was on my own. So it wasn't an option. So it was like, I'm not going to like this like literally I'm the guy like this if I'm in a bind and I'm struggling mentally I'm gonna lock myself away for a couple hours a day I've went to a hotel room and locked myself down already like literally turn my phone just off, gotta check out just check out literally gather my thoughts and see what's the next move because it's always the next move the problem is when we dwell on our problems during the chaos you can't see any way out. So that's a lot of people off themselves. You know, you know, on, you know, a lot of people literally make bad choices because then you try to make a decision during a crisis, and it's kind of hard. So I never lost anything, anything. So I'm like, you know what? 
um, there has to be a better way. So I found a way around it, and um, I just decided like I'm gonna keep pushing because the the the, the problem is to lose everything and get a 95. And I'm like, I'm not getting a 95. I'm not. Doing, I never. I, I don't. To this day, the only 95 I ever had is literally um, when I got to the states to work in the army. So I decided, no, it, it, I got to make this work. So it was like, uh, just believe it until it, like, until it becomes reality. Yes, my way. my goal was to duplicate what I did with the, the the online sales. My goal was to duplicate that two point seven million dollars in real estate. That was my goal. I want. I was. I was hell bent on duplicating it. No options. No options. That was it. I was hell bent. We have to duplicate it. So once you start making buku money on the, on the uh, running on the rooms. Yes. So then, what's the what's what's happens next? What's the well? I got stability, business got got stable again. Um, now it's able to um, using more hardware and lend, lending to buy more properties, and um, renting them out and keep doing that. And uh, once I got to where I'm buying more multifamily, that's when everything changed because now I went from I bought them fifty thousand dollars, put about thirty five in each property. Now I own about maybe 20, 20 multifamily buildings that are now worth millions. So I refinanced them and pulled cash out. And then once I pulled out cash, I was able to literally do a lot more. And what year was this? Uh, it was in um, maybe, where I'm at, uh, 2009, talking about 2012. Okay. Yeah, 2012, around that time. That's when things started changing. So then what happens after that? So now you're, you uh, you cash out all these properties and or you leverage them Yes. to start buying more. Yes. And is that where you start diversifying into other restaurants, or are you just doing single-family and multifamily? So so this, this is the whole thing about rest, um, all else that I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm good at real estate, really good at it. Um, I'm always going to the clubs downtown. My buddies own clubs, buddies own restaurants, all that stuff, right? And I've always I bought a um, I bought a I bought I bought a building as a restaurant in it, and a house and 0.5 acres of land. So I was going to open that restaurant. That was the first one I was going to open, but that one burnt out recently, um, as you know. And um, I decided like you know what I always wanted a restaurant, like for my wife. So she's always in the behind the scenes doing stuff, and I told myself I'm going to open you. A restaurant with your name and everything, and she looked at me. She's like, "Okay, whatever." I said, "I'm gonna do it." <laughs> so, we had a goal about maybe five, I think about three, four years ago. I had a goal. After I pulled the money out, I said to my my agent, Sabrina Scott, I said, "Listen, I want five daycares." She looked at me. Said, "Well, you want a daycare?" I said, "I want five daycares." All right. Where'd that come from? It's just like a just just arbitrary. Just yeah. like I don't care. I just want yeah, it. I just want it. I want five daycares. I want a gas station. Um, I want some commercial property. Uh, I want a hotel. And there's no like rhyme or reason to this. No, or is no. It, it's just because you want it, or do you feel like in the future being diversified is going to help you? I see a lot of my friends um, that are doing that stuff. I have Patel friends doing all that stuff. I don't want to be stereotyped into one area of real estate. I was doing you know wholesale deals too. I was doing all that stuff, but. I want the other side of it too. I want to actually own a gas station. I actually own commercial. I want to actually own, not rent. I want to own them. So we set out, and 
she got my first daycare. So somebody was getting out of the business, older couple. She found it. I looked at it. I liked it. Um, looked at the, 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 the revenue stream, like, okay, yeah, this can work. Yeah. So I was buying something for 140 something thousand. <clears throat> I'd, I'd invest about maybe 30 something thousand dollars in it. And then mortgage was going to be like a thousand. And I'm renting off a 25 hundred. I'm like, that's no brainer. It's no brainer. <laughs> no brainer. So she got me that. And then, um, you know, after that, then you know, I found commercial property. Now, all stuff I'm doing now is stuff I've never done before. So I'm going with the fact that I'm a numbers guy. The numbers don't lie. So it, it, you go from a small thing to a big, larger thing, but it's just numbers. And it takes more management. With the commercial stuff, I've never done that before. So, you know, I'm going into it, you know, literally just based on the numbers to make it work. So I bought, like, um, the Kingston Square Plaza. Um, when I bought that, that was sitting there. I found that in the lottery store next door. So I told her I want both of them. She's like, yo, I said, yeah, I want both of them. And at that point, I'm like, okay, just run the numbers. I'll find the money. So, and... That has six units, lighter store, was already up and running, making money. So, okay, that's another check coming in. The cash flow is pretty simple. Mortgage is going to be, you know, you know, say eight, $800. I'm renting out about 13 cash flow. Good. It's already established business. And if they decide to move out, then I can do my own lighter store. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you get, um, so diversify, this is an interesting time to diversify into commercial property, though. Because well, now, of COVID. Now? No, it's, it's bad. It's not good. Yeah. It seems like a weird time to be. It's not good. Um, but I've always went against the odds. And I always made money. So <clears throat> my commercial property, um, the first the first six-unit building I bought, it's on Montgomery Street. My investor saw it before I did. And when I actually brought it to him, so I get the loan and everything going through the loan, yada, yada, whatever, right? Down payments going like a hundred something thousand dollars, um, which I already got the money to do, and um, the loan fell through at the last like two weeks, a week before. And I went to him again, I said, like, You know, I want to buy this, but he's like, Well, I don't like it. He said, It has no parking and I don't like the area, whatever. I said, Run the money, I got it, just let me, I take care of it. And the last minute, he decided to invest four hundred thousand dollars in the project. and when I got done, I increased parking basically by another 30 cars. Front, side, back, I made park, got Just parking. figured there. it out. Figured it out. Figured it out. We're going to do what it takes. Cut down the trees in the back, set it up, you know, gravel, concrete. I made it work. And, um, you know, he was shocked. He was surprised. Like, I said, yeah. So I got that. So that was the, 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 the first um, six-unit actual plaza that I ever bought. Okay, so your your moving to commercial real estate's actually been recent, then. Yes, yeah, very recent, and um, I'm doing it, like you said, during this particular yeah, it's like a crazy time. So my building, like when I got that, I had that building. Um, I had two 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 tenants in it before COVID, and since I'm big on buying real estate, but also not overpricing the, the rents, so people can actually afford it. That was yeah. that's my biggest thing. So I, when I'm buying, I don't buy like most people where they buy a market, they get market um, mortgages, and then they turn around and have to try to find to a higher paying client to make it work. I don't want to do that. If I'm going to be rent to a higher market, it has to be extra income. Right. It shouldn't be me to find that person. So, you know, they're paying like $30 a month 
on on a thousand square foot, twelve hundred square foot building. So it's feasible. So when COVID hit, they actually still were able to maintain their, 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 their themselves any mortgages because you weren't gouging them. As a lot of people were paying three, four thousand dollars, they they lost, they had to move, and the landlords had to, had to deal with that stuff. So I still kept them, but then I actually wanted to do the restaurant. So I said to myself, I want to open a restaurant in the plaza, not knowing. That's gonna cost me all this damn money. <laughs> Not knowing if you know if I could finance anything or whatever. So I just did everything in my pocket. Basically. What was your plan up front? Like you were just like, I just wanna own a restaurant, but like did you have did you have like an idea of what it was gonna take? Did you know anybody in the business? Anything you like leverage or? Yeah, well I have um my buddy D- um Donovan Smith, um that owns Sweet Spice, um my other buddy Rado and Lotman, they own um Island Breeze. Um so I've been around them. Um, never, never actually knew the ins and out of what a restaurant, you know, the money makes, all that stuff. I just kind of figured, from a number standpoint, if I'm going to rent out one of the units for say sixteen hundred dollars a month, I said there's no way in hell I can't make sixteen hundred dollars a month. So I'm gonna try. So that's what I did. Swing for the fences. Yes. <laughs> and how's it been since it's been open? Um, which shout out. You can shout out Cool Vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool Vibes, Pizza and Wings. Excellent um, 40, pizza. 4501 Montgomery Street, um, 912-499-565. We're on all the um, major delivery apps. Amazing food. We have all the regular pizzas, plus we have the the, um, the, the specialty pizza, which is the oxtail pizza, which we created, um, Jamaican um, reggae pizza. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's, um, I just decided to swing for the fences um, with that one, and um so far, um, in the restaurant business, you don't make money like that. Okay? So let me be honest <laughs> and tell people. I don't care what nobody tell you about the restaurants. It's a lot of work with a lot of no money. Okay? So I haven't made any money yet at all. Um, Is that weird for you? Because I mean, like, very weird. Like all this very, time. Very weird. <laughs> Super weird. Super weird. Only thing I'm doing is actually making money, pay bills, order food, pay the workers, and recycle. My thing is, <clears throat> I didn't actually open a restaurant alone just to make money. I did it with monies from other investments that I made. So this is kind of like, I'm opening this as a side hustle. That's what I'm doing. And I know eventually it's going to work its way through, but it's weird not making money like I normally do. So what the, 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 as you said, the pros to that is the restaurant owes me money. On the real estate side, yeah, because it owes me rent money, so it doesn't matter what happens. I just got to get all that money back. <laughs> does that get like a little complicated when you're renting from yourself? No, like how does that like all? No, like, because at the end of the day, it's like I. You just treat them as two separate. Yeah, I have multiple companies. So, Beanet Management is my management company. Um, I have another um, management company that actually procures all my um, commercial clients. I don't do it myself, so I don't want to deal with that side. So they find the clients, um, they get them set up everything, then I take over from there, maintenance-wise, rent collections, all that stuff, with my other company. So BNET Management manages um, the property that Cool Vibes and JNR Enterprises leases. So they pay BNET Management rent. So I just, it's, to me, it's a whole different entity. Like I just see things like that. It, it, so I treat, I treat it as such. Like I keep a running tab. On, on cool vibes, you owe me money, and I'm gonna collect. Do you show up at your own house? And be like, hey man, you owe me money. I, I, I'm not gonna evict them though. I'm not gonna evict them though. Does that get so? But I'm guessing then. So at this point in your career, though, every single business has its own team. Every single business, um, 
except for um um like Jimmy from Savannah, we have our own team of guys that flip the houses. Cool vibes, own team. Um, Wendy Russell, they handle that. Um, the 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 beat management, own team. Miss Tiffany and Wendy is on that side. Uh, with the maintenance staff, um, and, and I oversee everything. So basically, I I made sure I I, I kind of duplicated myself, but in a way that I kept constants, which is Wendy. She's kind of constant in everything. So I'm there, she's there. Um, and my maintenance staff, which is headed by my brother Damien, he oversees all the maintenance for all the properties. So that's the main thing. So the reason why I ask is just because I wanted to use that as like a little bit of a learning thing. So like you really wouldn't be able to do all this other stuff if you were still the primary, right? Like if you didn't have these teams to pick up the workload while your fo focus is changing. I have never worked a day in the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people ask me, people ask me like, somebody stopped me and it's like, so you're going to go by your restaurant today? And I'm like, why? It's like, don't you go by there and work? I'm like, no. I know nothing about that stuff. I know about it, but I try not to get too much involved. Um, I want to hire the right people and let them do the job. And when I see stuff, if there's an issue, then I'll get involved. But then I'll make sure I go through the, the proper channels, which is Wendy. She's it's her restaurant um, and Russell and I said okay this is what we need to get done and go from there but yeah you got to have good people and but the, the thing about that is you still got to do the, the the babysitting you still got to be on top of stuff without that you won't your vision can be distorted and my vision actually for everything I do is actually to serve the clients the way they need to be served based on what I'm trying to accomplish like for instance I want to make sure that whatever pro if I give somebody a property is the best property I'm giving them based on my standards. Not not what they want. I can't move them in early. I'm not gonna get you the property with a hole in the wall. Not what my maintenance staff's gonna give them. Not what, you know, my restaurant um, um, customers, they're not gonna get whatever the people gonna give them. I wanna give them the best product that I think I would take for myself. And that's the standard I try to keep. Once, um, well, I guess we'll just switch into this. So this is like a been a reoccurring question too. So obviously you're buying a lot of property this year, so I don't know how this is going to affect your answer. But how has COVID, how has COVID affected all this? So I mean, opening a restaurant in the midst of COVID, did, were your plans to open it? Did you already know you're going to open it before COVID started? Yeah, we started, and COVID kind of set us back. Besides dealing with um um just the rigmaroles of you know red tape of the city and going through all that process, which is pretty difficult. Um, <clears throat> and um, but COVID set us back in terms of you know just shut down and not being able to get stuff done um but you know but it wasn't it didn't affect the restaurant opening as much as it affected everything in real estate like for instance <clears throat> um my model um in real estate got affected big time because then when the banks they stopped lending right so the banks went from where they stopped lending they weren't doing any more refinances 30-year mortgages all that good stuff so they stopped lending in terms of real estate investor side they were still lending for you to purchase a property on your own one side but they stopped lending then what they did was they raised a lot of criterias so for instance if your credit score needs to be 640 650 680 now they want a 720 credit score for a certain preferred rates and stuff so that put a damper on the last of it so i had to literally wait for months literally wait for months for me to get my you know for them to change stuff back or i had to literally pay off a lot a lot of you know lines of credit to get credit scores up to do certain things you need to get done. So yeah, so COVID did affect um, our business significantly. And in terms of like, there was this big notion going around people telling people not to pay the rent. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't Did pay your rent. <laughs> so, so I had to literally try to educate people. All through COVID, I was educating people, doing lives about it. I said, listen, uh, I'm not telling you guys this because I'm uh, uh, in our own property. I'm telling you guys this for you, you actually your credit and for your future. You don't pay today, you're gonna end up losing tomorrow. Yeah. You know, if you if you have the money to pay your your bills, you know these are all the different streams of income. I had to show them the government giving you this. You get this money for unemployment. I had to give them all these different streams of income that they can actually get. Um, nonprofits are helping people. So you know, to this day, we have actually only out of all the property that I own, we have only had maybe like four people. They haven't paid. Okay, so it was fine. Yeah, so it, was, it ended up being fine. Yeah. But it was, I'm saying, it cost me a lot of money. But <laughs> compared to other people, I had buddies of mine that maybe had 12, 16, 20 people because they, they weren't really educating their, their tenants. They weren't telling them they needed to pay the rent or they were just sitting by and watching. But for me, I'm, I'm, I know the, 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 the codes and the laws pretty good. So I, I kind of expressed to them, like, listen, you're going to be out of a place. As a matter of fact, you think that you can't get evicted. As soon as it opens up, you're gonna be one of the first ones to go. So you gotta take care of your bills, and these are the options that you have to, you know, afforded to you to go get the help. We even try to help them get the help. Yeah, we contacted Family Promise and did all the work on their behalf and made sure they got situated. Yeah, we have saved about maybe six people from getting evicted. Wow. During that time, yep. That's pretty insane. How many? So how many? Um, how much of that plays into though the quality of your tenants? So like, um, part of building out your infrastructure i guess your portfolio was there lessons learned in like choosing tenants and has that like have you changed that criteria a lot and well all right so we started out um what a lot of people don't do in real estate is they don't go after a niche um you have to get up get a niche my niche was people that had bad credit um that had evictions dispossessories um, that's like the opposite of norm. There you go again. I go against the <laughs> the great ob. Yeah. <laughs> so I went after the people that nobody wanted. So that's what that's why the rooms did pretty good. I still did great management. See what people understand about people is this: everyone has bad things and good things, and if you think everything's gonna be easy then you're not, you're not going to make it in business. What I've done was incorporate the same standards that if you went to a traffic stop and you break a red light, you get a ticket. You may not like it, maybe upset, but you broke the red light. So I, I, I brought in rules and regulations to my business management style where if you know I, I made the tenants responsible for the actions. You know I gave you a house with all brand new blinds you break the blind, you pay for it. You're going to pay for it. And if you don't pay for it, there's a clause inside your contract that says you're going to lose your deposit. Or, you know, we're going to fix it at cost to you. It's going to cost you more money. Um, you know, you got to have renter's insurance. And if you don't, any damage to the property, you know, caused by you, a flood, a leak, or whatever it's going you can pay for it. So after a while, people start understanding. They got to change the AC filter. So I made sure. So I brought these rules and regulations in. So it, it helped. The, the, the style of management with a niche of people, you know, a lot of people are used to going to, with low-income people, you know, you have, have more bad situations happening to them. But they respect the powers that be when they get in certain situations. So I realized that you have to do the same thing. So, yeah, so even though I went after those people, the niche, I actually learned how to manage them. So 
that was the main thing. So not saying you're going to have an, ev an eviction going on now. I'm going to rent you. I'm not doing that. Your eviction has to be like two years out, you know, five years or something like that. I'm giving you a second chance. So I'm right. not a second chance company. I would never look at somebody's credit score to, to rent to them. I look at your credit, though, to see exactly are you paying your landlord? Um, if all you have in your credit is medical bills, then you're going through stuff in life. A divorce. I'm not going to use it against you. You have a good paying job for the last five years. You've been pay Then I go from that. So I look at people, not just their credit, not just their numbers, people themselves. I interview them. You know, when they come to the office to see how they carry themselves. Somebody's going to come to the office and you smell like weed. You're going to smoke weed in the property. There's a no smoking inside the contract. Can't rent you. There's certain right. things you look at. So it's all about managing people. So we went off to that niche and that niche is serving pretty well. So now... Now that, to answer the other part of the question, now that we have actually developed that niche, now we no longer need to do that based on what I'm doing now. So I still have that niche, but I'm, we're branched into other areas because, because our properties are still good, we have still lower, on the lower side of rents, then we can play with the numbers now. So if I'm in a certain area and I want a, a different client, then I can raise the rents. I can load rents for it just depends so i have a lot of room to work so it's much better now initially what kind of led you to that because you know if you read any real estate book that's going to go completely against convention right and i know you're i know you pride yourself on going against the grain but i mean that seems like at face value an unnecessary risk that's obviously paid off nicely for you but in the beginning you couldn't have necessarily known that that was going to happen right like how did you know well this is the issue i'm buying property i'm buying property for cash flow purposes. The only place you can actually do that is on the west side and east side of Savannah, Georgia. If you bought property in the south side of Savannah, you're paying premium. Yeah. And then by the time you rent the property out, you're making barely nothing. You know, even if you think, you think you're making $200, by the time you run the numbers, you're making nothing. So for me to actually buy on the west side of Savannah, a lot of people that would rent from the south side, they won't come to the west side of Savannah. So when I bought property there, a lot of people were actually leaving that side of town to go to the south side. So I'm buying when people are leaving like a dummy. You know what I'm saying? So people like everybody. I've had, I bought a four-unit building off Parson Gwinnett. Even the postman told me it's not going to work. This is a gang area. <laughs> the postman, <laughs> it's not going to work. They laugh. Today's day, it's been sitting there and I bought the building next door too. So I, who's laughing now? Yeah, I got rid of the gang. I'm a Jamaican. Nobody scares me. I'm a brothers. No. So I know how to handle people. I'm from the streets originally, so I, I know how to talk to people and express to them. Um, so gang's gone. Property's making money. That's it. So what I did, I kept the rents low so I can actually get those people in but also govern them. That was the whole thing. Have you had higher turnover because of that? What? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say higher turnover. The higher turnover came from the being in in, in a multifamily business. Single-family properties, people tend to stay longer. Yeah. Um, multifamily, they plan to be transient um, to, to, to to the most. But because the rents have been low, I've been able to say, okay, well, if you think you can do better, see, this is a niche. If you came to me, and you already have bad credit. And you can't find 
a place to stay nowhere else. And I took you in. What's going to happen when you do wrong things, bad things with my company? At that point, your options are pretty, pretty slim. Right. So you have to decide, I need to stay. And the rent is good and do the right thing. So I've had a lot of people that stayed and a few people that left. So the turnover wasn't that high at all. Like, like, trust me, it wasn't. Because what I did was I actually helped people understand the rules. So one of the biggest things about turnover and the rental stuff is that a lot of people that own multifamily businesses, uh, um, I should say apartment complexes, they're not the people that's running it. They're out of town. And they have a, like a management team that comes in and they hire them just to run it. So this, it's basically just, they're just doing a job. For me, it's not only a job, it's also personal. So, you know, I want to make sure that the tenants understand the rules and regulations, so I educate them. Like somebody that doesn't pay the rent, I'm going to tell you, if you don't pay your rent and you 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 you, you got to go to court and get evicted, the rest of the, the lease is going to be put on your credit. How? I'm not living there because the lease says so, and the laws allow for that. So these are things I try to teach them. So a lot of people would, would not screw up because they didn't. They, knew, they now knew the repercussions before they moved out while they were in. Like you make the penalty so serious, it's like they know you have to stay. Yes, they like know. you, you got to figure this out. Plus, it sounds like not to answer your own question for you, but if you're helping people find these programs, I'm sure that that helps considerably, right? It's like yeah, but helping them to help yourself. I know it's probably not the motive, but yeah, yeah, but a lot, but a lot of them don't care. So the, 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 the people that actually care is the one that takes the help. Some people actually rather get evicted and move out because the, 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 in their mind, it, it's not about paying you. It's not paying you. They just don't want to pay. Right. Yeah, some people like that. But You're just the filthy rich landlord that yeah. is taking advantage of them. But like I said, compared to a lot of people, like I've like we go to court really. Like we go to court because like, we educate our, our, our clients. And um, I know a lot of people that have businesses like mine, and they're in their 16 deep, 20, 12 every month. Every uh, month? Yes, it's bad. So for us, I really go to court. Like, we go to court once every two, three months. So it's, 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 it's yeah, so it's fine. Either they pay the rent or they decide to leave or, you know, that's it. So we, they understand what they signed for. We try to explain to them what it is because people going to court is, is saying that they're going to try to fight it. And if they, they, in their mind, they made up this whole thing in their mind that, well, we can beat you and live for free, then they're going to go to court. But if you actually understand they can't win, then it's, it's futile. Right. So I educate them on that stuff. What, um, how many do you own at this point? Property? Yeah. Like how many, uh, how many rentals do you own? Mm, which I think I own over maybe 200 something units right now. Over 200 units. Yes. All Savannah. Have you ever thought about going outside of Savannah? Yes. Um, next year, 2021, we're actually deciding to go to Atlanta and um, Miami, Miami, um, um, South Beach. I'm looking for more um, some uh, opportunities in Atlanta come next year. And um, that is my goal, definitely my goal, to go to Atlanta um, next year. And you want to just keep expanding on that single family or you're trying to do multi-family? No, I'm doing – Atlanta, I'm not really doing single family. Mostly I'm really doing more um, vacation rentals um, in, Atlanta, in Atlanta and uh, multi-family commercial stuff. Um, looking for opportunities to give other people opportunities. With the commercial business for me, it's not just me buying and renting them out. It's me actually looking at a need in a certain area and seeing where I can get in for the lowest price and then see where people are actually being priced out of owning a business. So basically, you know, a lot of people can't go to the mall because the, the rent's too high. 
they would like to own a business, but they can't afford the rent. So I try to find, you know, feasible places, fix them up, make them look real nice like anywhere else, and then make the rent less so they can actually be able to afford it. So that's that's the goal. So is the whole, I mean, beyond making money, your whole goal of this entire thing is then to improve communities, like, like literally, seriously. Yeah, and I can tell you it's been one of the most difficult things trying to help people that need the help but then turn around treating you like crap. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's very difficult. But the, the, the rewards are the people that actually love you for what you're doing. That is the reward. People stop you in the streets. Um, people tell you thank you. Um, you know, you see where you help the community, where you help people. And, you know, that's it. I've been doing this for a long time. I never got an award from the city for nothing. Never got a, a, a write-up in a newspaper for nothing good. You know what we got write-up for? A fire. A place burnt down. News want to interview me for a fire. You know, they won't interview me for anything else. For, for fire. People like negative stuff. Yes. Misery loves company. That's yes. The, so, right. so that's one of the things that um, I look at. But like right now, my, my, my mentorship program is doing good. Um, I have about five to signed up. Um, $2,500 to $5,000. But they're getting me. They're literally getting a multimillionaire um, um, investor to walk them through everything. I'm literally putting them on, on, on a faster track, the fastest track to being who I am. And, um, you know, one of my mogul mentees right now is doing great. Um, he, in the last three months since he signed up with me, he has bought a house. We're done flipping the house now. Um, he's starting to renovating it. He's about to refinance the house, get all his money back out of it. The house has been rented for the last three and a half months since he's been, he's been creating cash flow. He since sold his personal home, then bought his, his, the home his mom was living in with some of that cash from that home. And we're looking to refinance that home when we get done and do more real estate deals. And you said three months? Yep. Yep. Dang. Yep. So how does exactly does the mentee program work? So and where did, so maybe we should start from the beginning of this. Right. So what's the idea? How did, how did you form the mentee program? Where did that idea come from? And then kind of how was it built? And then how does well, it work? Well, it came from um like I started doing um um seminars. Uh, I think I did my first seminar sometime last year, two years ago, um, downtown Savannah. Um, and you know I always seen guys do seminars. I've been to seminars myself. But they actually don't tell you what you really need to do to succeed. Um, basically, seminars to sell you stuff like a program or university or something of that nature, a website, something of that nature. So they, they're really looking at for the money right. themselves. Um, Just to get you in the door. Right, get you in the door. Yeah. So I realize in Savannah there's a lot of property here that a lot of people don't want um, that I actually can tap into and help other people attain. I can't do everything. Like, literally, I've stockpiled property. I've bought maybe seven properties, and I take my time and go do three at a time. Because at the time when they came available, it was just too good to pass it up. Like, I bought property that's been sitting for two years. I bought it for 90000 and now it's worth 250 Right. Without me doing nothing. So it's like, you know, I see the, I see the, 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 the goal, so I'm going to get it. So with the mentorship program, I do, uh, I kind of assess people. I don't want to sign up anyone. Um, it's not about the money for me. It's really about me seeing where people's minds are at if they really, really want to get to that goal. So I do a consultation first. It was like 275, and I kind of see where they're at, where they need, um, before I sign them up and um, for the mentorship program. And it's pretty straightforward. You know, 
$2,500, you know, you bring me a house, you keep finding me houses, I will tell you the houses are good or bad. Um, I, I can even find your banker to lend you the money. I can even try to back it myself to my lenders. Um, but that stops right there. So once you buy the house, I'm done. I'm out of it. Right? For the 5000 once, get you to buy the house. Now, I can also find your house. So, but I want them to be proactively looking for themselves. You want to be an investor, you got to be bird You got to be seeing stuff. You got to be driving around and seeing stuff. You got to be checking on your own. So with the 5000 you get in, buy the property. My thing is this. They make the money back before anything. My Morgan mentee, one of the guys, bought the house. It was supposed to be sold for about $67,000. I got in the house for 43000 with a tenant already in the house. So he already made his money back before. Right, yeah. Then I, I, I showed him exactly, everybody's in my network. My tile guys did all this tile. My floor guys, my roof guys. Savings. I did this roof for about $60-something a square foot. A square. When everybody's charging 100 something dollars savings just like leveraging your relationship because you're paying these guys right tens of thousands of dollars a year right yeah so basically they make their money back so whatever they paid me they make, they're getting it back so the fact that he, he, he bought a house with that, that amount of money then now he's going to put about thirty thousand dollars in it then refinance it it's going to be worth about 115 125 thousand he can pull out up to 80 percent right so he's gonna get his money back so that those are the success stories that want to see so i'm trying to now a lot of people want to do what i do is and I, i'm telling you like it's not, doing on your own is difficult. With, with me, I can actually take out a lot of the, the, the ailments and the, the crazy stuff because I've been taken to, I've had contracts that took me for $14,000, took me for, for 30, for five. You know, it, 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 it's what it is. Once they start working, you're done. There's nothing you can do that, but it's a civil, civil situation and you can't sue somebody that ain't got nothing to right, take. Right. So it's a lot of risk. So I try to take out a lot of the, the, the issues out. So for me, my mortgage mentees will get the best part of what I'm doing because I want to make sure they succeed. That is the goal. So that's how I started. I want to help people acquire generational wealth. You know, I don't expect them to go, you know, be this multi-millionaire, but I want you to own at least a couple of houses. And I teach them on the premise, like, I don't want you to flip houses. I want you to buy them. I want you to own them. And I'm going to show you how to get cash flow out of them now and cash flow again later. I'm saying that is so I want people to do that so they can have something. And then after they start having the two, three houses, then you can decide, okay, I want to do more. So that that's goal. So I want to try to help at least every person I deal with acquire one home. And then we can go from there. And then I'll bring them into my network. So where it's a constant thing going where they're part of something more unique than anything else. Let me ask you this. So if it's not about the money, why do you charge for it? Because they need to pay into the system. It's a pay to play system. Like make an investment so that you're more committed kind of a thing? Yes. Because everything that we do in real estate, see, people are going from um, where they might talk to their family and friends. Somebody can help you move when you get evicted. Somebody can help you do certain things. In real estate, nobody help you do nothing. If you ain't got the money, you can't be in this business. Somebody's like, well, I thought I said you can do real estate without having money. Yes, you can. You can do without having money, but you're going to need money to sustain it. Oh, yeah, it's tough. Yes. So you need to learn that everything that you're going to be doing, you have to pay. So I want you to pay for the consultation, pay for the, the class, pay for the, 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 the mentorship program, and see that an investment in yourself comes back to you. If you tell me for free, 
like if I'm a multimillionaire, tell you I'm doing this, I'm gonna make money, and you can't pay that, then then you shouldn't be in real estate. And I like to let people do their own thing, and I watch people um, that want to pay. Um, like for instance, a consultation fee is like two seventy five. I give them a discount if it's two people, like a husband and wife or whatever. And some people are like, well, I got people my wife. We're the same, you know, in the same household. I'm like, well, it's two people. <laughs> yeah. It's two different minds. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm giving information to two people. And just like I went to school, if two people in the same household signed up for class, they got to pay. Right. So I try to teach them it's a pay-to-play system. You got to pay in to get what you want. And if you can't do that, then real estate is not a game. Yep. What I kind of glossed over it a little bit earlier, getting off the mentee thing. But um, so you had mentioned that you had made some some connections around the community that you were leveraging now to make investments on stuff, right? So what was the process of networking with all those people? Like, how were you finding people in the beginning? Like, were you just because you're spending time in the clubs and the bars, or like how are you meeting different people to kind of like keep leveraging up? Into leveraging what now? So like you, you were talking about. Um, you would use the example of you had met with a Jewish investor. So like like those were kinds of relationships. How are you curating those? How are you finding those? Well, for one, um, all right, so with my um, Jewish investors um, that I used, word kind of got around, like like who I am and the kind of um, quality of stuff that I do. So when I met with them, you know, I had to kind of prove myself all, all over again. But then their investors saw me taking their money and do what I did with it. It was like, he did this. I, like I took a burnt out building that was maybe two units and I turned it into three units. And um, and the quality of work. So went from where he was investing with them. So he told me, if you need anything, let me know. So I, I didn't really take it, you know, to mean anything. So one day I needed something, I'd hit him up. And our relationship started then. When he started being my direct investor, investor instead of going through them, um, my um, bankers the same thing. Um, you just got with them about one one deal, and then we started doing more. And then in the clubs and stuff, I work everywhere I go, like literally. Um, real estate, I can talk about this all day long, but with the um, the clubs and stuff, I always be networking. Like I talk to people when I go out. People always want to ask me about stuff, and then um, basically, you know, I develop relationships with, with people like like that. So it's you know so I, just in case, you know I, I'm in business and I learn more from them sometimes to do more that in, in what I want to do. So these necessarily weren't relationships that you were seeking out. It was just kind of like I'm going to perform it the best I can, and then it's just going to kind of attract into yep. my life. Okay, yep, yep, that's the main thing. Yeah, I was just curious if that was like something that you had done intentionally or. Mm-mm. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the future? So like so you said you're moving to Atlanta and Miami, right? Yeah. Is the reason why is it because you feel like this market's gonna start to get saturated here soon or No, because I think um I've done a lot here and I've proven to myself what I can accomplish. And Savannah is um a city where it can literally drag you. And uh, you know I've, I've I've seen how they, they 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 treat people here, and I really don't want to continue building in Savannah and doing stuff if the people here are not gonna appreciate it, because for me it's personal also, and um, I rather start pulling back from being more personal with with the Savannah situation and doing more business. So 
like for instance, I no longer deal with tenants for the last five or six years. I don't get involved. Only time I get involved is if there's an issue that my staff can't handle. I don't go to court or anything like that um, because people are malicious. They want to record. They want to say, I said this, I said that. And I can't be put in a situation because I'm the head of the company. Right. And, and, and it's a liability issue. So for me, I try to stay out of all that stuff. Like, for instance, even, you know, everything that I own, no one can stop me and ask me a question about nothing. I direct them to where they need to go to because I'm not in charge of it. I tell you, I own it, but I'm not in charge. What you mean? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to give you a price and something because I'm not the person in charge of it. This person's in charge. They'll give you a price and everything. I do it for a reason. So you can't hold me to something that you said and then you hate me for it. And that's what they do. So I'm really branching out in the long run. And I think about even selling a couple of my assets here to be more in a better, better place that understands people like myself and my wife and t- less negativity because it drains on you. It really, it, it's, it's literally, it's bad. It's, you know, doing so much in the community, the same people will literally treat you like you crap. And for me, I don't like it. And for me, it's like, I don't want to keep building a community where, you know, I've done so much and I've done enough. You know, you know, I think I've done enough and I think this is time for me to, you know, you know, start dealing with my stuff at my mansions and, you know, get more commercial property in different states or, you know, move from move into a better area, certain, certain things, start dealing with different. So I'm transitioning myself personally from dealing with a lot of the negative stuff and pulling away from it. So to change into a better, 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 better position of peace, need that. I can understand that for sure. I think that'd be kind of a tough position to be in to feel like, like getting slapped in the face after like working. You know, especially oh, yeah. when you had those moments where, like, you're giving it everything you got. Yeah, yeah. And people don't even know that. Yeah, the same the same people, the same people I try to help um, are the same people that cause most of my problems. Like for instance, somebody rent a, a, a room, can't pay the rent. And or the weekly fee, and, and when you ask them to leave, um, they call the, the city on you, and the city comes and drags you to court, and taxes the hell out of you, and ruins you, and and all because of one person that you're trying to help, where he couldn't get help anywhere else. So, but these are things they don't understand that they do themselves. So for me, that business no longer appeals to me. So you know, my brother got arrested off of that. Somebody broke into the house three t- two times and. He put him out, and the cops arrested my brother for putting out somebody that broke into the property. You know, these are the things that we're going through. And then and even there's a case that hopefully they'll drop the case, but I can't put my family through stuff like that where we're trying to help people. And then the same people you're trying to help is the same people that literally will hurt you. So, no, I want to, you know, I'm at a point now that I don't need to do that no more. I already don't need to deal with certain types of, you know, individuals or um, 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 class of people where it's going to harm me and the bottom line in a day because it's not worth it you know making it now to where i'm at making it in life now it's time for me to be comfortable right you know so that's one of the reasons why like my mansion on tybee i'm not the one in charge of it and i hire people that will you know vet the people the right way and put and, and then rent the property out so they have quality people so that i'm out of it i don't deal with it same thing my my, my, my plaza i don't rent to anyone apply my plazas they, they go to a management company and they vet the people. So, you know, it's, that that's the main thing. But for peace of mind, my biggest thing is to go to, I like Miami Beach because I've been there before. And it's a lot of people like me that are go-getters, you know, uh, about stuff. 
Those markets move way faster. Yeah, and yeah. my thing is, I know money, right? Money, that's what I know. I know money, so I can do it anyway. And Atlanta, same thing. Um, they they like the the hype and the the floor thing. So, hey, I'm going to buy a house and I'm gonna give you the hype. I'm gonna renovate it and make it look nice for you. Here you go. You buy the pink house. Yep. So stuff like that. So you know. So that's main main thing down here. It's kind of you know difficult, but like I said, loved a lot, but also hated a lot. After building your portfolio here, raising a family here, do you feel like this is home at this point? Yes. So, like, will this always be kind of your home base, even as you're, are you guys going to move with the transition, or, like, what's kind of your plan there? Well, honestly, I love Savannah, but if if I actually ever went to Miami Beach and decided, got a great deal and, and started doing well and started doing more, I would sell everything and move there. <laughs> I would. Because at, at that, that point, for instance, if I sold everything I owned right now, I would never have to do anything again for the rest of my life. Literally, because I, my portfolio, I owe a lot less than what it's worth. So I can literally just walk away. But my thing is this. I'm building something for the future, and uh, building generational wealth. Cash is nothing. So the whole thing is to have you know these assets and keep them growing. But then, like I said, even if I stay in Savannah, it's a lot more, less of me being available you know, to certain people as to like I am now. Because, like I said, it's, it's, it gets to the point where it, it can't be where my family is, is, is affected or I'm affected by anything and um, my people that actually don't want anything out of life. That, that's why I understand now, for years I couldn't understand, now I understand why people live in the landings, why they live in Wilmington Island, yeah. why they live in Tyree, why they live in certain places because they actually don't want to be around certain people that actually go and make it worse for them. And they actually want peace of mind. Peace of mind is a hell of a thing, like literally. So... The, the more you grow is the more peace you need you know I, I, I'm no longer the, the, the guy that wants to fight over everything and battle through everything I'm not a guy no more <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that if you steal from me I'm gonna call my, my, my attorney yeah. you know and let him handle it I'm the, before I used to kick the door in and, and, and want to break your, your arm and all stuff like I'm not that guy no more because I have too much to lose and I have too many things to look forward to and I have too many people that's looking up to me for you know leadership so that's the main thing. But, yeah, but I definitely love – one of the things to go to Atlanta, too, I want to, you know, hopefully one day I want a helicopter. I want to be flying back and forth. That's the goal? That's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. That's you, the goal. You had mentioned generational wealth, too, then. So, like, kind of goes into my next question, which is if you don't need the money, your drive, right? Everybody eventually – I feel like everybody starts out, they need money kind of, right? Right. But if, at some point, you get to the point where you don't need the money, and so then it becomes about something else. So, is for you, is it generational wealth, legacy, kind of a thing? Yeah, it's 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 um, the the, the money is, is one thing. Um, I go broke every month, or every other month. Reason being, I, I keep reinvesting. Right. Um, I'm re I'm reinvesting because I see where it's I can't lose. Like I see what I'm doing. So a lot of people don't see it. Like the banks can't see what I'm doing. They literally, I had to literally tell my investment bank, this, calm down, I got it. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, scared. I say, I got it. I've been doing 16 years. I'm literally going to make you, make you look like you, you about to die. You're good. I got all kinds of plans. So that's what I've done. And, um, but with the, the building generation wealth is what I'm doing. Like my, my son just turned 20 um, in May. And I gave him his first house, right, at 20. 
And um, that was a big moment for me because I'm able to give him his, his first home so he can start that process when he needs to. And, um, you know, my brother, you know, got his own place now. And I want to show people that you can actually, you know, start owning a piece of something. So it's not so much the money. After you start building the generation when the money will come. So that's the whole thing. So, you, so it was never really about the money anyway. It was no, always about like the generational. No, no. It was about the money initially. For me, to actually, it was, it was great because, you know, I started out with an online business. I bought a, um, a, a Mercedes Benz. That was my dream car. And I'm like, okay, I got this. Then what next? Right. You know, the bought, classic, what everybody says. Right. right? Then, then, then you get the I, I tell my wife, I'm going to buy a Cadillac Escalade. Anybody can be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Ain't nobody, own, nobody has one. Now, you're not going to own one. I'm like, yes, I am. So I bought one. And everybody's like, look at me like crazy. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, what next? You know, so I keep setting goals for myself and I keep moving the bar. And, um, you know, one thing I just haven't done because I'm really not, I think I'm not there yet in terms of like, Frying, pri- frying private and all this. I'm just, I don't know. Like, for me, it's, it's, I don't say pretentious, but I just think that I don't want to waste that kind of money. Right. I want to be able to say, okay, what I've always done is buy assets to pay for my liabilities. So the other commercial business I just bought, you know, they're going to be bringing in $1,000 a month. Okay. Now I can start doing all that stuff because I realize, okay, if my mortgage on that property only a thousand, and I'm gonna be making four or five thousand dollars a month, I'm like, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Let, let's, let's go blow some, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you're about ready to make another big purchase, right? So yeah, so, yeah, so, making, so, so that's the goal. So right now, what I'm doing, but now is basically focused on generation wealth. So before, initially, it was about the money to 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 stay stable, you know, grow my family. I have a, a wife, a son, two daughters. And they all go to good schools, and that's something that that's not easily maintained. My son goes to SCAD, and I'm paying out of pocket. Yeah, so do the do the math. So, <laughs> so it's a constant struggle. But like I said, you know, the great thing about building generation wealth is the assets will be there when you need it. And now is a time when interest are low. Now is a time to grow more and build more. So, because in the long run, when it changes, you'll have those low interest rates locked into for 30 years. And your property would be appraised at a higher value, but you still owe less. So you can have money coming out of it. So it's it's a lot of different options. Let me ask you kind of a personal question. So one of the biggest threats to generational wealth that I've seen is that oftentimes the first generation of wealth, like in your experience, like you grew up real poor, right? So it's always in the back of your mind, that driver, right? Like that, that drive that comes with that first generation of wealth. But how have you have you put conscious thought into how you overcome that in the future generations? Yeah, well, what I've what I've been doing, um, it doesn't matter what you do as a person that came up from being poor to rich, your kids are gonna be around you, they're gonna experience things that you didn't. So I kinda think that what you're leaning to in terms of like how you keep that in a family yeah like how do you instill that hunger that i feel like only comes from well my thing is this i'm not building my kids to be me i'm not building them to be me at all i actually want them to be themselves but i'm building the companies to be themselves so the companies are being built to be individuals run separately 
So whether my son, my daughters, anybody runs it, I want to have a team that is in charge of it so it takes care of my family. I want to buy enough insurance to cover everything. So that's one of my main things is to make the company strong enough that my kids don't have to be the strong leaders like I am. But that's the main thing because one of the things is when you don't have proper leadership with companies and then you have your kids come to take over. That's what happened to a lot of people. The kids come and take over and run to the ground. Right. Yeah, That's that was kind of my question. Yeah. I don't want that. So, I, like, I've never never wanted that for my kids. Um, um, I don't want my kids to be me. Um, I've done the legwork. Now is the time to be to make the assets work for themselves and be stable. So if my my kids needs to be the CEOs and the CFOs and the overseeing everything, that's what they need to be. I don't need them for them to be a, a part of no management team do nothing at all. That's up to them if they want to learn that process. But I don't really advocate that because at the end of the days, I want to make sure these companies run themselves. That is the goal. That's why I'm really right now I'm tight. Like I'm really being on top of all my people. Like you know, my managers at the restaurant. Stuff like that. I want to make sure that they they understand this is not a today thing. You're here as a manager, and I'm going to be buying more restaurants. So if you really want to be a regional manager or international manager, stay the course. Right. Because I'm going to be taking it to other places, and, and I'm big on it. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it. Right. That's just me. And they have that track record to prove, right? I mean, that helps when you have the track record to be like, see, I've done it before. Yeah. Like, and, and to this day, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what, I still got to prove myself. It, it, grow, grow, um, be, doing business in America as an African American um, or an immigrant from Jamaica is 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 far way different from being born and raised here. Um, you get treated differently. You get I could have the best everything, and I still get scrutinized. You know, as to who's this guy, and in in a way, I can't blame. In one instance, I blame them, blame society, but on the other end, I can't blame them. Because then they've never met anybody like me before. Most times, people like me, me that I've been doing, don't make the right decisions. So, you know, people see me and think I'm doing too much. You know, you're going to fail. Something's going to go wrong. Right. And, and I'm like, you haven't met anybody like me. <laughs> you have not. <laughs> you have not. And we're determined. You know, one thing, you know, we have, me and my wife, we're determined. Um, and a lot of a lot of things that I've put myself into financially um, is because I'm overdetermined. But I've always found my way through it. So now that I'm getting to that point now, I'm I'm kind of put, pulling back from that to where I'm doing a lot more the commercial stuff more. So I'm doing stuff that actually you know doesn't matter what I do, you can't lose. That's where I'm I'm, I'm headed to. Like you know I'm buying a, a you know a mansion. If we're going to an Airbnb. I'm going to make X amount of money a month. It's a, a win-win situation. If my mortgage is only five thousand dollars a month, and I'm making thirty, forty thousand dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if your revenue goes down twenty percent, it's way covered. Right. So these yeah. are the things that I'm looking at. So you get the, the more what I've learned in the last three, four years is making more money but buying less of the smaller assets, saving that money up to buy larger assets, which will bring me back a lot more cash coming in. So that's what I've been doing. So, you know, in terms of me putting down, 
you know, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars on on certain deals, I'm going to be putting down two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. That's the goal. So now you sit back and you know you have a whole building that's downtown that's rented for maybe thirty thousand dollars a month, all three, four units, and your mortgage only ten thousand. Right. That's the goal. So that's kind of where you're headed. Like yeah. economies of scale kind of a thing. Yeah, that's it. We, we've been talking recently. What do you make of the phenomenon where, um, like in multifamily? So if you have like a single family portfolio, right, you could average maybe a 15, 20 cap on that single family, right? But these guys are out here spending millions on these multifamilies, huge multifamily complexes, mm-hmm. and their caps maybe five, six? Crazy. Do you think, is that where you, like, so is that a sustainable thing, first off? No. You don't think so? No. You think that that's all? You think it's a bubble? Yeah. Multifamily bubble? Yeah. I, I wonder that. Yeah, yeah it is. I, that's my opinion too, but I don't. You know. Listen, all right. You are an investor out of town. You're buying in a market you know nothing of. You're treating multifamily just as a number. It's not. It's not. If you literally treat it as a number, it won't work. Like, so you still got to keep that percentage base is what you mean? Is no, no, no. I mean, like, people, like, for multifamily, they're buying as a number, and they're saying, well, look, their cap rate is X amount or whatever the case may be. Oh, okay, I get what you're, okay, I get what you're saying. And they're treating, yeah. they treating the business just as a number only, but then it's still, there's still a community and a neighborhood. Right, yeah. and so things happen. So I've seen where apartment complexes value drop, like, like real low. And, and I'm not understanding how, like, for instance, I've spoke to one of my investors before, and I said to him, let's build apartment complexes. And he said, why? I'm like, what you mean, why? It's, you know, you build it up from the ground up, you know, you do, it's brand new, make some money, you're good. I said, well, you're not going to make any money anytime soon. So he sat me down, and he showed me the numbers. He said, listen, look at this. I'm going to be spending $120 a square foot to build something brand new, right? While... On the other hand, you can find a foreclosed property for nineteen, twenty, thirty $30 to $50 a square foot. Yeah. Fix it up. See, see the difference? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I looked at it, but I was like, yeah, I see what you're talking about. <laughs> so the goal is to have the property at the lowest cost. So wait it out. So, yeah. So, so like I said, when they, a lot of people have contacted me about buying my property. Um, a lot of people that's doing that are people that know nothing about really handling the day-to-day runnings of real estate. They're investing. And a lot of people have used other people's money to do that. But remember, when you invest in stuff like that, and you're, say, for instance, just some guy that has a million dollars, and you gave it to this private equity firm to invest for you, and they're saying they invest in real estate, and they buy it. If the investment fails, you fail. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. you know, you fail. So, so I would never, I don't see how, I think a lot of them are doing it now just to they resell the property. Like, for instance, that, that, that SCAD building that they just bought. The people bought the building a year ago for 24000 sold it back to SCAD for $39 million. I mean, 20, $24 million and sold it to SCAD $39 million. Easy money. Easy money. Well, it's like uh, 2800 capital. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I should be careful what I say here, but I'm pretty sure these numbers are real. I know it's for sure sold for forty four million, and I'm pretty sure that two years ago they bought it for nineteen. Yeah, so, so I mean that's so, that, like, so that's what, right now that's what's going on in this market right now because a lot of people are approaching about selling my, my apartment um, buildings, and I have spoken to my wife about it because I want to just look at the value. I want to see what it is because if it 
it's something where I can do. I think I might do it. Um, I know I want to have a lot of stuff for legacy purposes, um, but I can move millions with millions. So it's just, you know, if I could, if I, if I made millions with nothing, you know, I can move millions with millions. You know, me selling an apartment complex, you know, I can become the next billionaire if I decide to move that money. So there's just certain things you have to look into. So I'm at the point now that I'm looking at certain things. And, and let's hope the market continues in this trend because it's not a bad trend. They're not really giving out bad loans. Um, the problem that I see is that the, the, the property values are going up because people are building homes again. And once you start building homes and selling homes at a higher value, then everything's around it, the price goes up. And that's the crazy part about real estate, which people don't understand that. Like, it's not so much, you know, nobody's doing. It's, it's a market. And the market is driven by what the next deal going to be. Right. <laughs> that's it. There's nothing else. If one property in an apartment complex sold for $300,000, that's not a staple. That is it. And then you're going to keep going and keep going. If somebody decided to pay $350,000, that is not a staple. Right. Um. Do you read it all or like listen to podcasts? Are you do you consume a lot of content as far as like around real estate? No, not or anymore. Business? Not anymore. I did it. I did it prior to getting in, into real estate. Um, I did seminars. Um, Robert Kiyosaki is my biggest um, uh, mentor. Um, <laughs> love that dude. I went to meet him one day and show him how he affected my life. Um, I did a lot of seminars um, in Jacksonville. I went to Atlanta, um, Savannah here, um, but now. I don't listen to a lot of the podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of, um, I don't read a lot anymore because I'm so fo- focused on what I'm doing is actually doing something that I don't think they can teach me. So I'm making a whole different brand of real estate and what I'm doing works and I try not to kind of divert too much from what I'm doing and with, with new teachings or whatever the case may be. Because like I, you know, I, I think I got introduced to to um, Card, is it Cardone? Oh yeah, Grant Cardone. Yeah. So yeah, I, I watched um, one of his things out there, and I'm like, I was blown away. Like, you remind when you said the cash is trash, like I'm broke every two weeks or yeah. two months. Uh, Grant Cardone says that all the time. Yeah, cash like, is trash. Yeah, it's trash. I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 I watched this thing. I'm like, dude, this dude is like really, really like the shit. Like he's arrogant, cocky, but he's about the shit, whatever. And I said to him, um, I said to myself, like, you know, I watched this stuff. But then it still boils back down to the end of the day. Like, he's doing the stuff where he's acquiring multifamily properties. Well, he's doing the five caps, the things we were just talking about, with right. other people's money. Right. Which is not really what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. So so that's the main thing. So, so my, my, my thing is, you know, I, I, I stay – this is the first time in all my years I've actually ever taken on money from, like, this private people, citizens or whatever, to do stuff and help them with it's not something that I, that, that I, I really um, plan to do, but I want to help them. So that situation is is a very tricky situation. You know, I don't mind making money, but I'd rather make my money with my money um, the way I need to and stay out of certain things. Because you see a lot of people, you, you watch American Greed? Never. You watch American Greed? American Greed. No. You need to watch it. It's good. American Greed shows you all the ins and outs of how people that were nothing became rich and now they scammed a lot of people to get rich. Is it like a documentary style? Something like that, yeah. So it, it, it gives, like, you, 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 you got to watch it. Like, it gives you all the ins and outs, and you'll be like, 
wow. And a lot of these um, um, venture capitalist firms or whatever been on that stuff a lot because then they cook the books and all that stuff. Like even guys have been on TV about real estate. So there's a lot of that. So for me, it's very easy to get caught in that situation because then you have a lifestyle to start living. You know, you, you, you're flying private, you drive this, right. whatever. And if if I know what I know about business and real estate, it's never going to be easy. So not you're not going to be making money all the time. So when you fall short, then you have to use somebody's money to keep your situation going until you can get the money back. But if that doesn't happen, now you're in a hole. So, you know, I see a lot of them do that stuff, and it's like, I'm like that, that is not for me. I, I couldn't do it, no. So for me, if I take, like, for instance, I back all my clients' um, money with assets that I'm doing. For instance, if I'm going to take $30,000 on somebody to invest, I'm going to use it as a down payment on a flip. I know exactly what the flip going to do, what the case can be, and what it's going to be worth. Like, for me, it's good, Right. But what I'm not gonna do is take somebody's five, six hundred thousand dollars and then tell them, okay, well I'm gonna give you X amount. They don't know where the money's going. I'm not doing that. It has to be tied to something. For me, it's a safe. Like you don't want just like a general fund. No. Like you just want to raise money on specific projects. Yes, yes, yes. Because when I do it that way, I know it's tied to that particular project, and and it, it saves everybody from going through just just the arbitrary BS of where the money went. Right. You know, I don't, I don't need that kind of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. I think there's been plenty of people that have built big, huge REITs and stuff where it's just like investments attached to specific projects versus like the trust overall. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that. That that's, that that's For me, that's the way to go. And if I was going to um, like, you know, have people do that, then that's that's the best way to do it for me in terms of putting everything in a fund and then, um, you know, you know, using it to do stuff. Um, it's just a safer way. Let me ask you, so kind of the, my final question. Day one, um, somebody just getting in the real estate game, maybe you, you 15, 20 years ago, what's your piece of advice? What are you telling somebody? All right, they want to get in real estate. Um, I would actually tell that person to find someone like myself to talk to and being able to bounce ideas off and deals off because when I started doing that is when I began to grow more. Um, for example, I had my first fire years ago. Never had a fire before. Gut-wrenched. Devastated. Family cried. I cried. No one died, thank God. People got displaced. Now I have to deal with the insurance company. Different ball game. Have nothing. Don't know nothing to do about it. You know, I had no clue. So I found out about personal adjusters. So I hired one. And he took care of every single thing and got me all the money I needed from the insurance company that they didn't want to give to me. Wait, you can hire your own adjuster? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm learning now. <laughs> so I did that. Hired a company. They did it. They charge a percentage. You paid them. And then when that check came, I sat down, my, 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 I call him my mentor. He doesn't think he's my mentor, but I call him that because he's way out of the main game. Um, I sat down with him and said, listen, what should I do? He's like, what do you really want to do? I said, well, my goal is to actually, I want to acquire the rest of the properties around this area. He's like, well, you can. I was like, how? He's like, but I got to rebuild this property. He's like, no, you don't have to. I'm like, what you mean? I don't have to. The insurance company gave me money to rebuild the property. He's like, you don't have to. You can actually take the money and do what you want to do with it. 
and then you rebuild it later. So that was one of the most prolific things I've ever heard and done. I took the money and bought up another couple dozen properties, took the money from those properties and built back the property. So I had everything I wanted and that again. Just thinking creatively. So you need to have, so anybody's getting the business, I suggest they get with somebody like me. Um, follow them, um, watch them, talk to them if you can. If not, then I suggest that they do a lot of reading. Read a lot about real estate. And um, follow people that are ahead of you in the game and literally make sure that everything that you do, especially with contractors, you're on top of the game because they will, it's a make or break situation. And know if you're going to be in the landlord business, make sure that you know your landlord tenant codes like the back of your hand. That's what saved me from a lot of liabilities, a lot of, a lot of lawsuits, and a lot of loot losses in courts. Uh, we win. And if the judge don't like us and, and give us an L, I just take the state court and win. Because I know for a fact state court got to follow the laws. So make, that's the, the advice I give to a lot of people that get in. Make sure when you get in, you get with somebody, but know your numbers. At the end of the day, real estate is not personal. It's personal when you're making it personal, but the numbers have to come first. Then the personal stuff comes into it. So if the numbers don't work, don't do it. Seems like a great note to end on. Yep. Thanks, man. Yep. It was great talking to you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys later.